welcome to the Everything Theatre podcast, brought to you by Everything Theatre, a theatre review and interview website covering more than just London Fringe Theatre. Each week we'll bring you interviews with some of the best that Fringe Theatre has to offer. We'll talk to theatre makers about new shows, hear about the art of making the plays, talk about some of the wonderful venues you may never have heard of before. In short, we will chat Everything Theatre and what makes it tick. So let's dive straight in and hear what today's episode has to offer. I'm talking to Andrew Quick. Andrew is co-artistic director of Imitating the Dog, um, and they are putting on Dracula, the Untold Story at Leeds Playhouse, from 25th September to the 9th of October before taking it around the country on tour. Andrew, nice to touch out to you. Um, do you want to tell us what your version of Dracula is going to be about then? Yeah, lovely to be here. Thanks for inviting me. So, yeah, our version of Dracula is really the story of Mina Harker after the supposed killing of Dracula in 1895. So we do have a bit of the old Dracula, But what we're really interested in, what we really focus on in this show, is what I like to call the intervening years, from when Mina Harker's a young woman to when she's getting old. And in our story, basically what happens is that in 1964, 65, that evening, New Year's Eve, between those two years, um, oh no, actually it's between 1965 and 1966, better get it right, World Cup year, Mina Harker turns up at this, or this young woman turns up at this police station claiming to be Mina Harker and claiming to be uh, the person who murdered somebody earlier that evening that the police have found. And what we get is a kind of revelation of what's been happening to Mina since 1895. If she is who she says she is, this young woman, that she really is Mina Harker. So we deal a lot with the sort of various vampire myths, you know, is she a vampire, is she not? In the original, you might remember, Mina Harker's forced to drink Dracula's blood and she's on the way to becoming a vampire when Dracula's killed. And in the book, she's, if you like, cured from that possibility. But in our version, it's left very open whether she's a vampire or not. So the reason you brought into the 60s is so you can make her an old woman or make, make, that age thing relevant to us, yeah? Yeah, I mean, it's partly that, definitely. We needed a bit of intervening period. So in 1966, 65, she's kind of in her 80s. So we needed, you know, a period of time. But we're really, we've always been quite interested in the 1960s as well. In the end, actually, the show only touches on that. It's kind of a ghost of the 60s in the background. Um, But for us, I think one of our starting off points was that the end of the 19th century, when the novel's written, is a real moment of transition for lots of people. Technologies, roles of women, uh, class structures, things begin to free up. And in a way, there's a kind of parallel to that after the Second World War in the late 50s, early 60s. There's another kind of freeing up uh, of music, young people, you know, countercultures, the Beatles, you know, all that kind of stuff. Elvis, of course, is well and truly on his way in the sense that he's already done his stuff, but there's a kind of British renaissance at that point. And we felt that was quite an interesting period to come back to, even if we only touch upon it as a moment in history, really. The era is a backdrop and not 
totally not the most important thing then. No, no, but it, it symbolically one of the things that happens in the in our version is it, we set it in a kind of alternate reality, like a lot of graphic novels. I know we'll talk about this in a minute, but in our version, in the fictional world of this piece, Dracula isn't a story; he's an historical fact. It really happened in 1895, and in fact, in 1965, there's. Uh, a memorial kind of music you hear about a kind of uh, in the British Museum there's a kind of exhibition all about Dracula and his killing and, and the history of it not as a story but as a fact so we play with that a little bit with these news broadcasts so the Beatles are the names that we know they're slightly changed there's there's a little hints of an alternative history we find out that the second world war did, did it happen the way it did because of what she did before the Second World War happened. She assassinates various people. So the First World War doesn't start in 1914. It starts, I think, in 1917 and lasts till 1923. So in our world, we're changing a kind of version of history. Like a lot of those Marvel superheroes mm. uh, films and graphic novels play around with. So we do that. So the 60s is still there, but it's a kind of slightly different version of it. altered. Okay. And why, why did you decide to pick on Mina Harker as your central character then? Well, she's really interesting. Um, in, the, in the Bram Stoker's novel, the original novel, she's, she's not a minor character, but she's not the major character. But when you, when you read it, you realise she's the person putting all the information together. So she's the figure acting a bit like a detective that's collating the letters, the recordings, the diaries, the newspaper cuttings that actually create the fabric of the story. So she's the secret storyteller of that, of that novel. And what we got interested in was, well, had she kept anything back? Had she told the full story? And if she didn't, what, why was she holding stuff back? And that got us thinking, well, Maybe she was the person that killed Dracula. Maybe she wasn't cured. Maybe then the fight against Dracula continued after the novel was published. So for her, for us, she became the central character, really, that we could wrap around all our interests in. And you know what? It's also, it's also, it's quite, it's not fashionable. It's been a thing recently where more peripheral figures in, in novels or stories have become the center of our attention. When you read it, she is one of the most interesting figures in it, really. Um, that's kind of like a silent voice that's present all the time. Yeah, and it, it lets you come from a different angle, I suppose, does it? Yeah, it really does. And it, 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 you, can, you can follow the ghost, if you like, of the original story, but with a, with a fresh perspective. And, yeah, it gives you a bit of freedom as well. I mean, and also, you know, there's no point in hiding it people are interested in in these other stories now and 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 being a woman at that period of time was uh, coming back to that earlier question that you asked was a moment of big transition for women in the workplace in in the home and that felt interesting to us as well and of course in the original novel there there is a sense that Dracula is a bit obsessed with Mina and that's picked up in the Francis Ford Coppola film with you know Gary Oldman and mm. uh, Winona Ryder you know that that, I mean, he turns it into a kind of love story between them. We don't do that. But there's definitely a relationship between Dracula and Mina Harker. That, that's not, it's not beyond the norm, if you like, in vampire, in the vampire relationships that are in the, in the novel. So that felt interesting to us as well. 
And right. of course, you know, in, in, in the novel, she has a child with Quincy Harker. Oh, no, she's not. She has a child with Jonathan Harker. And they call the child Quincy after Quincy Morris, who's killed in the battle with, uh, with Dracula. And we pick up on that as well, like whose child is that? And what's the significance of that child? And what does that child do in the intervening years as well? I won't do any more spoilers because that's a big thing in the, okay, in the story. Brilliant. Now, your style, so um, say your so imitation of dog, your you merge real life with projections, digital projections. Is that about is that fair way of putting it? Yeah, we're really interested. We have been really pretty much for twenty years or so now in well, two things. One, the relationship between the screen and the live. Now, obviously. That's because, like, we're talking to you now across the screen. So we're already, we're, we're dealing with it in everyday lives, especially through COVID in most extraordinary ways. So we've, we're interested in, in, in how screens challenge and change storytelling. That's definitely true. I mean, the other thing we've always been interested in is cinema. So cinematic modes of storytelling and its relationship to theatrical modes of storytelling. Um, so quite a few of our early... Um, shows with technology were really looking at the genres of film and trying to trying to think how theatre might challenge and and use some of those genres in really interesting live ways. So using live cameras, uh, using um, already made film or live creation of film has definitely been uh, things that we've worked on. And ghosting in this all, all the way through it's been our interest in graphic novels because graphic novels, of course, use both literature and through drawing cinematic techniques. So they bring, if you like, literature and cinema together. And we've always been really interested in that. And what, what we've done in this project really is to take that graphic novel form and for the first time really... Um, go for trying to bring theatre and the graphic novel into the same world, as it were. So rather than creating a live film, which we've done before, we did it with Night Living Dead, where we recreated the whole film shot for shot whilst the original film played at the same time. So we did 1,287 shots in an hour and 20 minutes, which is a real task, but, you know, it's very it's entertaining and fast. <laughs> but, it, yeah, it was a great success, that piece. So here we, we're, we're sort of if you like, leaving the film world a bit behind. I mean, it's there, definitely, as a kind of ghost, and really looking at the graphic novel style and seeing that way of storytelling in the graphic novel, how we can bring theatre in relationship to it. And I think, you know, we're in our last rehearsals. I'm speaking to you now from Leeds Playhouse, and it's very exciting, actually. It's really, it's, it, you know, you never know what it's going to be like for audiences, but as for us making it, it's a very exciting process. What, what is it actually? So I'm trying to get my head around what we're going to see here. So are we seeing actors with a digital sort of backdrop going on, or are the actors processed onto a screen? What what's the visual we're going to get if we're sitting in the audience? Great question. Okay, because I didn't really explain that very well. So we've got okay. a big video wall at the back, so it slopes slightly, if you like, towards the back of the stage. There are three cameras on stage and a table that moves around on a kind of track. That's, that's, that's the set. And basically what you get on the big video wall is a series of moving panels and backdrops 
onto which we project through cameras the actor live into that graphical world. Now, sometimes what we also do is because it, we use documentary material and people from history. So, for example, Benito Mussolini makes a brief appearance because she, uh, I think that's a spoiler I can give you. She assassinates Mussolini as a young man. <laughs> they have a fight. So we have a photograph of the young Mussolini and through face, through face recognition technology, we can map our actor's face onto Mussolini's face to make the photograph come alive for a brief period, which is kind of very much like a graphic novel, film, theatre moment. So you see it, like all our work, you see it happening on stage, you see it being made on stage, and then you see it being transformed and processed into the image on the screen before you. So you've got that's how it unfolds. Yeah. So there's almost two two things to watch. Then you actually you're almost seeing the the film version and the making of. Is, is yeah, exactly. You're seeing the the process of how you make the image and you seeing the image being made. But you know, it all, in the end, what we're really interested in is the story, though. But we are we've always been interested in not just the story because it is you know it's a it's a bit of a romp. This piece it's very much made like a superhero or supervillain narrative um it you know it does have psychology and it does have ideas but it's not like a you know it's not like a pin to play with deep psychological interiority it, it is fast storytelling mm. and that's it's deliberate that you know but the so there's the storytelling the story is what you're trying to communicate but we've always been interested in reminding the audience all the time ah on the stage, see how it's made, see how it's been put together, because that's as enjoyable as ever, mm. you know, as, as anything else, really. It's the, it's the dexterity and the nimbleness and the um, pleasure in seeing that process on stage before you, rather than it all being hidden. How, how frantic is it behind the scenes when you're making, you know, when you're doing this live then? Is there, I mean, how many people are involved in putting this together in the moment? Well, actually, this like Night Living Dead was completely frantic. So people were because you're having to create shot after shot. So you'd have to be setting up. Sometimes shots were happening in two second moments. So you'd have to set up one shot and then be setting up the next one, if not the next one after. So people would be running around with cameras and props and all sorts of stuff. This is a bit calmer, to be honest. And one of the reasons for that, I mean, it still it still feels quite fast and furious through the screen technology. But one of the reasons is a bit calmer is that when we first started rehearsing uh, back in June, we were under strict two meter rules then. So you couldn't, you couldn't be, you couldn't ever be within two meters of anybody. And what's more, if you touch any equipment or props, you had to wipe them yeah. down if someone else touched them. Now that has loosened a little bit, but it's still pretty strict at these players for you know very good reasons. So it's not as frantic as Night Living Dead, but there is a kind of um, elegance and pace to the changing uh, video material that's happening uh, on the on the video wall. So actors have got to be very quickly getting into position to pick up the shot, and then it'll be put into the video wall. So there's a lot of movement and gesturing and changing of posture on the stage. So, for example, one scene is is shot live on stage as an overhead. So it's, a, it's set in a police station. So they go to the cafeteria and they sit at a table. That table's digital. So the two actors sit on their 
near their chairs, but they have to bend over. So it looks like they're sitting as an overhead shot. Now they've got to get into position on their marks. It's very precise. They've got to rush, get there really quickly, make all their gestures. So it's very choreographed in detail to, to make that trick work. Is it? I mean, for the actors then. So it's it's an it's a whole different skill set for them, is it? Because it sounds like yeah, they're not playing off each other. They're playing off something they can't even see almost. That's that's another great question. There, there's a core. So they're playing psychology. They're playing the story. So you know they've got a through line, if you like, like you would in a normal film or a normal piece of theatre. But it's not naturalistic because they're having to do these. And yeah, it still looks quite naturalistic on the screen or at least in a graphic novel version of naturalism, but they're having to sort of be unnaturalistic on the stage to make the image work. So it's, so it's very dislocated, you're right. And it's very, very difficult for the actors. I mean, they, they do get it, but it's, it's counterintuitive. And sometimes you see them in rehearsals, one of the things we're working on at the moment is, if you like defaulting back to how you do it in reality. And then you think, oh, you catch, oh, I can't do that, I've got to. So, you never, for example, when they're interrogating Mina, the two policemen, one woman, one man, they very rarely, re on stage, look at her, although on the screen it looks like they're really looking at her. And sometimes the actors forget that the camera angle means they're not actually looking at the real Mina, and you see them look, and they correct themselves because it looks really bad on the, on the screen image. So you're right, there's a, there, it's a different mode of, different technique of acting. What possessed you as a theatre company to make your life so complicated? I think it was, you know, these things evolve, don't they? You, you, get, you get interested in something. And what happens is at first you work with sort of limited technology. So one of the first shows we did like this was a piece called Hotel Methuselah, where we made this, we made a black and white movie, which the actors stood in front of and lip synced to. Because technology didn't allow us to use cameras live, we couldn't afford it, and it was also to move that information around was too slow. The servers were too slow. They just couldn't. At that point in two thousand five, computer processing didn't allow you to do that. So we got interested in the cinematic image and the actor before it, and we got interested in how how the live actor disrupted the cinematic image, and sometimes how it seduced how the audience was seduced by the cinematic image. And then as technologies became cheaper and more available to us, we started to do things more in a live way where we were processing and mixing that relationship live. And then, of course, that changes how you act because then the actors having to deal with, when it was just miming in front of a screen, they didn't really have to worry about the camera because the camera had already done its job. And then when you bring the camera into the, the rehearsal process and you start to link the camera with the screened image that you're creating in, in, the, in, if you like, in the rear projection, then the actor has to adapt to that. So it's a learning process for all of us. It's a learning process for the actors and it's a learning process for us. You're right, it does create, it creates challenges, but a lot of our actors have gone on the journey with us. So they've developed the technique with us. And then, interestingly, a lot of actors that work in film or TV, it's very similar. So, you know, in, in TV, things aren't necessarily shot in sequence. And sometimes you shoot a, a very intimate scene when you've got a stand-in that you're looking at. It's not even, it's not even, say you're having a crying scene with your mother, it's a young, you know, runner who's standing there and you're having to act your heart out to someone who hasn't even read the script. <laughs> So in film actors often have a very dislocated technical 
way of acting as well. So I think the combination of the two things that we pursued have allowed us to develop these ideas with, they have, you know, sometimes it is really demanding, it's true. Sometimes we, we have arguments about, can we really do that? Um, but we generally, we're very good at problem solvers. I think Simon Wainwright, who does the, um, the video work and, and the visuals, he's brilliant at all that. Pete, who's the co-director with me, he's, he's a fantastic person who sees a larger picture on the, in this, what I would call scenographic arrangement on the stage. I do a lot of the writing and the sort of detailed work with the actors. So we're, we're quite, we complement, you know, you talked about earlier, you know, other arguments, of course, mm. there are sometimes and, and differences and that's good. But we, I think the three of us complement each other really, really well. Do you think um, this sort of bringing technology in this way, do you think it, it helps bring different or even a new audience into theatre? I hope so. I mean, when we did Night Living Dead, we, we definitely tapped into a new audience that were the fan base of that film and younger audiences interested in horror and that genre. I think, look, theatre's always been really good at, at relating to popular modes of storytelling, right the way back to Shakespeare, to melodrama in the 19th century, to 20th century storytelling. And we are storytellers in the end. We are really interested in the stories that we hope people are interested in and are relevant to the lives that they lead today. The technology helps you in certain ways, but you know, it, it, technology is something that, as I just said before, we're all dealing with. So it's part of our life now. It's part of the tapestry of our life. It, in more complicated ways than when I was a kid being brought up in the 60s. And, you know, I remember when we first got a TV in sort of 1967, 68, although I do remember watching the World Cup on someone else's TV when I was six. But, you know, when I was growing up uh, in, the, in the late 60s and 70s, TV, we had two or three channels, you know. Mm-hmm. We went to the cinema. This, you know, our relationship to the screen was very particular, you know, and of course, I've got kids now, and they're you know they're doing things that I, I were never in, completely impossible to me. So we have a different relationship to information and technology and stories now. Not everybody's job to deal with that, but but we've always been interested in it, and it's one of the things that. So when we you know when we look at Dracula, to come back to your question about why Mina Harker, it's not just Mina Harker that we're that's ghosting into this production, if you like. It's police procedural dramas it's which everybody loves at the moment it's the whole vampire mythos that has informed twilight that even the recent bbc dracula which of course has been written by the guys that did sherlock which was a kind of rewrite and, a, and uses technology and texting we don't do that but it's hard to tell a story now without acknowledging the fact that the world's moved in a very particular direction and I suppose we are people that embrace that in certain ways. We're not, sometimes we're being a little bit critical of it as well. I mean, I think there's an implied sense of fracturing and what that means and what we lost through this process where of maybe certain, when we had the BBC and ITV, we had a kind of two notions of what the truth was and we had a simple choice. Now it's, it's everywhere and where is the truth in that? We don't have an answer. But, but we're interested in it. Did um did lockdown help you develop new ideas? I know 
obviously theatre suddenly found a new life online during the last 18 months. Did you progress? Did you did you sit down and decide what to do next? What you could sort of where you could push the boundaries to? Great question. I think one of the things that we immediately I think we were very we were in a very good position to react to lockdown. Absolutely, yeah. Because 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 we were using computers and if you like communication between computers to make theatre work. And I think, again, come back to people like Simon, and we have a great uh, lighting designer, and I would call him a creative technician, Andrew Crofts, who really good at a program called Isadora, which is software that, that's low-fi in some ways. It's two or $300, but allows you to manipulate images and material in quite complicated ways. And one of the things that we, 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 we started to work on was whether we could, if you like, parasite ourselves, if that's a word, or become parasites on the already existing platforms that people were beginning to use, like Skype and Teams and Zoom, and whether we could link this other software to it and, and create, if you like, a virtual theatre space. And, and that's what we did in Airlock. So we quickly started to become interested in that. And we proposed quite a number of projects that, that we got excited about. Some of them came off and some of them didn't. Because I think the theatre industry as a whole reacted pretty quickly mm. and interestingly and creatively to the, to the crisis, which, of course, really affected theatre. It was one of the first places where you suddenly went, wow, everything's gone overnight. We know we were in the middle of, well, we were at the end of our tour of Night Living Dead. We were about to go to Manchester. We were going to, if you like, uh, culminate in our production there. We had loads of producers coming up from... London to see the show because maybe it would have a sort of life beyond our tour and all that went overnight you know one day it was on the next day it was off I mean kind of saw it coming in a way but still pretty shocking but we did react pretty quickly to that and I think creatively and coming back to your question it has fed into this process it's given us a certain confidence it's given us a certain kind of we'd already done some research and development into if you like methodologies that could deal with the limitations being imposed upon us by the COVID pandemic. You've done, you produced, is it three episodes with things, something called Airlock, didn't you, last year? Yeah. Is that, I mean, if people watch that, is that a good indication? Is that give you a feel of what Dracula will, will be like if they come and see that? It's definitely a little taster. Um, there is a one, there's three Airlock, there's one about an astronaut, a, cop, a Russian cosmonaut, there's one about a, a detective trying to track down the, uh, it's about a storyteller who, who wants to get rid of a figure that's always cropping up in their story. So he, he, he creates a fictional detective to kill off the person that's haunting him in his own story. <laughs> I haven't watched that and one. Then, next, and then yeah. the, last, the last one is, um, is a vampire one, actually. It's about the last human and the last vampire on Earth meeting. So, yeah, I think they do give a little taste and they are sort of designed like graphic novels. But what and then and and you do get a sense of them that the, they are live. So you see the little the live actor at the bottom of the screen in little bubbles preparing and and, and getting ready. And what they're doing in in the in the in the Zoom, it's actually Skype actually, is they've got their camera on and they're doing it in real time. It's a one-take um shot of the whole thing. And it's really quite that was the complicated thing. 
not so much for the actors, but for the technology and the fact that sometimes the technology would just crash. <laughs> so you were you were totally reliant on people's Wi-Fi. But yeah, it does give a good a good feeling of 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 the show. But in the theatre, you will you're really aware. I've been watching. It's quite you know it's quite a big scale piece. There's only three performers, but the look of it is big and it's bright, and it's you've got these cameras and you've got this huge screen and this screen has tricks in it as well that you, you can climb up the wall, you can do certain things. So it is also very theatrical. You know, it is theatre. I always cling on to that. It's, it, it, it may be influenced by a graphic novel, it may have cinematic elements, but it's very much theatre. It's still a live experience. Exactly, yeah. exactly. <laughs> Now, now, obviously, we've t- mentioned this is so you're open at Leeds Playhouse the 25th, so cool, next weekend, isn't it? Um, yeah, previews in a week's time, yeah, week and a half. What's don't what, make me too nervous? How healthy is regional theatre? Because obviously, you know, I've got I mean, I'm in London, I've got a very London centric view. I'm thought, you know, I can't help it because I'm being inundated constantly with London theatre. But how healthy is theatre outside of London right now? Well, I think you know, like everywhere, theatre's being really knocked by by COVID. Um, there's a lot of good regional companies. There's a lot of great regional venues. Leeds Playhouse is definitely one of them. It's a powerhouse, really, for new work, for 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 restaging classics. I think they've got a great program here. They've got a great youth theatre. You know, they they seem to be doing very exciting things, and that's a very important thing, really. A lot of these regional theatres are very important to those communities not just in the work that they made, but bringing theatre from places like London or other cities, but also to fostering companies that live close by or in the same region and youth theatres and communities. They, they're more than just places to go and watch theatre. Hmm. Now, London, of course, has it even... Well, I mean, I know London pretty well. That's where I was born. Along, I mean, I've never really... I've lived there off and on, but I would call myself a Londoner, more of a northerner. But I know London pretty well. But, you know, even in London, there are sort of, I would call, you know, regional within London theatres, where those theatres like Stratford East, you know, have a very important uh, role in that area, theatres in Hackney, whatever. So, yeah, the West End is a particular thing, but London's a very complex place and has lots of communities and theatre has a big role to play there, as it does in the regions in in the UK and, of course, Never mind Scotland and Wales, which have of course got their own theatre hinterlands, which are really interesting and complicated and doing some extraordinary work. It's fantastic that we have London as a place to, that we can showcase work. But I like to say that you know the regions are places where often the ideas are, and you've got a bit more space and a bit more time, and perhaps it's less expensive, so you can develop ideas and create work without the same restrictions and perhaps limitations that London imposes for obvious reasons. And a lot of that's to do with expense and time. It's going to be interesting to see what happens in the next two or three years after COVID, like how risk averse a venue is going to be. Are they going to take risks with projects because, Mm. you know, our audience is going to come back. Uh, But at the same time, as far as I sense there's a lot of positivity, a lot of creative energy, and people are really wanting to get back and make work. It's also so something like Leeds. Is is the theatre scene condensed around you know Leeds Playhouse, or is there a lot of sort of smaller venues feeding into that in the area? I think Leeds, Leeds Playhouse is important, but there are a lot of there's a lot of other theatre activity going on in Leeds and some really interesting work. So 
got Slung Lowe's venue, which is in another part of Leeds, which is very much based in, in a community. There's there's a lot happening in Leeds. You know, these big big northern cities, they, there's, a, there's a lot more happening than you first you get a sense of, you know. The, the relationship between the regional repertory theatre and those theatres is always an interesting one. And, and sometimes it's quite dynamic and sometimes it's quite separate, you know. But but in a way, always, there's always a relationship. If, it, if it's a dynamic, you know, creative environment, there's got to be a relationship between those different ideas of what theatre is and how it's made. And uh, so let's let's wrap this up. I'll bring you back to Dracula, the untold story then. So why should we come and see it? Well, I think you should come and see it because it's bold, it's refreshing, it's a story you think you know. But and I mean, obviously, the vampire story is. You might say, "Oh my God, it's been done to death." Excuse the pun. But I hope we, uh, I hope we bring a little and breathe some new life into the vampire and into the story. And and I think you know, if you're interested in theatre and what it might be and what it could be as well you're interested in the story then I think you'll have a good time with it um, Ooh, and I think you'll have a lot of fun and it'll be entertaining which is what people want in the end and um say so you're playing up to the 9th of October and then you're taking it out on the road aren't you we are yeah we were only taking it out on the road to five or six of the venues at first and that was a deliberate policy because we just didn't know what was going to happen with Covid really I hope it has an, a longer life so, you know, if people can't make it to those venues and I, I, you know, for example, we're not coming to London with it at the moment, which is a great shame. But after Christmas, if um, things feel good, we, there's no reason why we shouldn't extend that tour so we can. And I think, you know, we've got three shows, really. We've got uh, Heart of Darkness, Night Living Dead and Dracula. They're, they're very different, but they're kind of a trilogy. You know, and I'd love to be able to stage all three of them in a week somewhere. Oh, yeah. If people, if people could bear it, you know. <laughs> well, Andrew, thank you. That's been absolutely fascinating. So let's just give you one last plug. So this is Dracula, The Untold Story, 25th September to 9th of October, Leeds Playhouse. We'll put the um, links up and we'll put the dates, um, the other venues up on the website for you as well for all the information so people know where to find you. Andrew, it's been absolutely fascinating. Thank you so much for your time. Great to talk to you and uh, hope you're all health, healthy and safe in London. Take care. <laughs> Thanks very much. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. Please check out our website at everything-theatre.co.uk where you can find reviews and past interviews that we've done. And please subscribe so you don't miss future episodes where we'll be talking to more of the amazing people who make theatre the wonderful place it is. This has been Everything Theatre. We hope you enjoyed. Yay!